0: fusionchurch.cc slash soap and join us as we deepen our understanding and relationship with god all right so good well good morning everybody so great to see all of you and ready and excited to dive into the word of god with you this morning thank you so much for soaping with us as we are pressing into first chronicles 23 uh we have some incredible stuff going on in the life of fusion church right now uh As many of us know, we have Freedom Conference coming up shortly. It is right around the corner. Uh, We know a lot of us are participants. A lot of us are serving there, and we are already praying for you if you're getting ready to go through our Freedom Conference. Uh, We made a huge point just to spend time praying for all of you by name. Uh, And believe me, you have someone praying for you actively on your way into Freedom Conference. And come on our Freedom Team members that we're diving in together. I'm so excited. This conference is going to be absolutely incredible. But we also, also, so that's like our equipping side of our church. We have our DR missions team leaving on Saturday and we are super excited for everything that God's going to do through them down in the Dominican Republic and Los Cocos. So church, be sure, be sure, pray for the people inside of Fusion because we have a ton of great things going on right now. And, uh, you know, as, as a, as we're going to read inside of this passage, how uh, how we really should be committed to community and committed to the temple, the things of God, and to see what God is doing inside the life of our church after reading a chapter like this is so cool to see how God blesses when we really do come together, because we really are better together. So let's pray, and we're going to dive into this thing. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, that we get to press into your word today, uh, that we get to dive into scripture. Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would speak to us. Illuminate the word of God today. Open the soil of our hearts so that we can receive the seed of your word, Lord. We ask this praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. All right. So as always, if you have a verse that stands out to you, be sure to put it inside of the chat. Uh, if you have any questions, put them inside of the chat. We'd love to see them uh, as we're going through this chapter together. I'll do my best to keep my eyes over there. All right. First Chronicles 23, I'm reading from the NIV, starts off verse one. When David was old and full of years, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. He also gathered together all the leaders of Israel, as well as the priests and Levites. Levites, 30 years old or more, were counted, and the total number of men was 38,000. David said, of these 24,000 are to be in charge of the work of the temple of the Lord. And six thousand are to be officials and judges, four thousand are to be gatekeepers, and four thousand are to praise the Lord with musical instruments that are provided for that purpose. David separated the Levites into divisions, corresponding with the sons of Levi, Gershon, Kohath, and Morai, belonging to the Gershonites, Laden and Shemai, the sons of Laden, Jeal the first, Zetham and Joel, three and all. The sons of Shemel, Shalamath, Haziel, and Haran, three and all. These were the heads of the families of Ladim. And the sons of Shemai, Jahath, Zizah, Jirash, Bariah, these were the sons of Shemel, four and all. Jahath was the first, and Zizah the second, and Jeroash, or Juash, and Bariah did not have many sons, so they were counted as one family with one assignment. The sons of Kohath, um, Amram, Ishar, Hebram, and Uziel, all the sons of Amram, Aaron, and Moses. Aaron was set apart, he and his descendants forever, to consecrate the most holy things, to offer sacrifices before the Lord, to minister before him, and to pronounce blessings in the name forever. His uh, The sons of Moses, the man of God, were counted as a part of the tribe of Levi. The sons of Moses, Gershom and Eliezer, the descendants of Gershom, Shubel was the first. The descendants of Eleazar, Rehabiah, was the first. Eleazar had no sons, but the sons of Rehabiah were very numerous. The sons of Izhar, Shalmoth, or Shalmith, was the first. The sons of Hebron, Jariah the first, Amariah the second, Jezeel the third, and Jechariam the fourth. The sons of Uziel, Micah the first, and Ishiah the second. The sons of Mirai, Mahiel and Mushi the sons of Mahal, Eleazar, and Kish. Eleazar died without having sons. His, he only had daughters. Their cousins, the sons of Kish, married them. The sons of Mushi, Mahali, Edar, and Dramoth, three in all. These were the descendants of Levi by their families, the heads of families as they were registered, under the names and counted individually. That is, the workers 20 years old or more were served, uh, who served in the temple of the Lord. For David said, Since the Lord, the God of Israel, had granted rest to his people and has come to dwell in Jerusalem forever, the Levites no longer need to carry the tabernacle or any of the articles used in its service. According to the last instructions of David, the Levites were counted from those 20 years old or more. The duty of the Levites was to help Aaron's descendants in the service of the temple of the Lord, to be in charge of the courtyards the side rooms, the purification of all sacred things, and the performance of of other duties at the house of God. They were in charge of the bread set out on the table, the special flour for the grain offerings, the thin loaves made without yeast, the baking, the mixing, all the measurements of quantity and size. They were also to stand every morning to thank and praise the Lord. They were to do the same in the evening, and whenever burnt offerings were presented to the Lord on the Sabbaths, at the moon, new moon feasts and the appointed festivals. They were to serve before the Lord regularly in the proper number and in the way prescribed to them. And so the Levites carried out their responsibilities for the tent of meeting for the holy place and under their relatives, the descendants of Aaron, for the service of the temple of the Lord. Awesome, so good. A lot of names in there. Hope I didn't butcher them, but uh, you know, when we're doing soap together and we have all these different Hebrew names, it's like uh, almost like best of luck, right? <laughs> but uh very excited to dive in this one today. Uh, there's quite a few different ways we can uh attack a chapter like this, but just kind of add like some biblical context. Whenever I'm with you guys, one of like my primary objectives is to look at the text in context, right? Because so many times in the world we live in, we take things out of context, uh, and I know none of us have ever been in an argument before where something was taken out of context, let's say between us and our spouse, right? Uh, Because we never take things out of context, but they do it a lot. So we know that they took something out of context, right? And then they found something to be mad at us about, correct? So I think it's really good to hold things inside of context. So let's take a look just really quick, chapter surrounding the chapter. So if we kind of run it back a little bit, uh, the last time I was with you guys, we had talked about how David had this desire to build the temple, but the Lord <laughs> told David, hey, that's not the assignment I have on your life, but something really great is that your son Solomon is going to do it. So this is an assignment on the family line of that you have, David, but you can't build it. There's too much blood on your hands, and I had a different assignment for you. So right here as we're running through the chapters, we can see that David is now starting to take a census and now starting to organize around the temple. So we can kind of see chapter 22 where preparations are being made. Chapter 23, here we see the organization of uh, the Levites, right? This is a lot like the priestlyhood of the church. Chapter 24, we see more division inside of that area uh, where, (laughs) where the priests are really getting assigned. Chapter 25, The singers and the musicians in the temple are all being organized. And then we have 26, where the gatekeepers or the temple officers are all being organized. Even goes on. Chapter 27, this is where the army is being divided and organized. The leaders of the tribes are being uh, divided and organized. And then 28 goes all the way into David's plan for the temple. You see, it wasn't David's assignment to build the temple, but you better believe David was going to help his son with whatever he could do. And David was one who his heart, like the Bible says, was after the Lord. It just adamantly wanted to pursue God. So here David wanted to bless God with what was inside of his heart. And that was the gift of a permanent home. And the Lord, of course, like we already talked about, was very clear with him. Hey, David, you're not the one to build this, so be okay with the assignment and portion that I've given you, but you can still help out however you can, right? So here we see David in chapter 23 starting to lay out uh, in the very beginning verses how we're supposed to look at the temple and the assignments, right? So (laughs) it's important to know that each servant was given a very meticulous role, right? Like It wasn't just like going to the temple and do whatever. You know, I would say we're gifted now inside of the new covenant inside of the church where we have this uh, idea, this system, this approach that now the Holy Spirit has given us where it says, hey, what's the passion that the Holy Spirit has put on your heart? And that's help you find the home inside of that passion, right? Because some of us have a gift of hospitality and we will stand at the doors of the church with pop-up signs dancing up and down to the upbeat music outside. Some of us work inside a restaurant, foods in different areas of hospitality, uh, and we are amazing at making coffee. Just want to let you know, everyone at church loves you. You're the MVP, because there's nothing like coming in to church on a Sunday morning, dragging, feeling just a little tired and having that cup of coffee ready for you because you guys are the mvps right so we all have these different gifts and different roles that we still play in the temple today right we know the church isn't the temple itself but it can kind of stand as an illustration of it but we see all these different unique gifts all these diverse gifts and all these different assignments that god is laying out through his word for the people to fulfill and as i was reading this chapter One of the things that was really standing out to me, because I know recently, uh, you know, one of the prior soaps that I did, we talked about the gifts that we have inside of us, taking the fusion assessments to kind of like identify our gifts the way that God has made us. But today, I just want to talk a little bit as we intro this thing, the gift of community, the gift of community. Because while each and every person inside of the community of the church is gifted, I think community is a gift itself. You know, I can as I was uh studying this, I was reminded just a few years ago. So I did something that was a dream of mine. And uh everyone, I think we're gonna be all very happy about this. You know, if you ever uh wanna come over my house, spend some time with my wife and I, this thing will be used. Uh, I bought a smoker. And when I say a smoker, I mean a meat smoker, right? grill cooker sometimes when i say that there's a little bit of confusion like pastor smoker right so i just want to make sure we clarify i bought a grill a smoker grill church this was a dream of mine for years i love this thing during the summer it never stops running i mean like we eat all the time from this smoker i love this thing uh we got it it runs off my phone so i could pull my phone out I could hop on the app. I could run the smoker from my phone and we can cook the meats. I have a little temperature like thermometers inside of the meat so I can check it from wherever I'm at. I can go to the store, buy some stuff, check it while I'm in the checkout line. It is the best. I was so happy when I got this thing and there was one barbecue we were having. We had a bunch of people from from the church over. We're just kind of hanging out, talking, playing some games. And as I'm trying to get the grill fired up, I realized it's not working. Like the grill's busted and I'm trying to put the thing together. Like I'm trying to get it going, trying to get it going, trying to get it going. Church, I can't get this thing going at all. And I'll be honest, I felt really insecure because here is a man and his grill and I can't fix it, right? I felt super insecure. I was really disappointed. And I'm thinking, what the heck are we going to eat? I already made the homemade burgers. Like they're ready to go. And there was nothing like putting like a burger on the smoker, letting it take the smoke in, doing an open flame and searing it right. I haven't had breakfast yet. So uh, we're sitting there and I'm like, okay, this is like, I don't know what I'm going to do. We're about to order pizza, but I was really disappointed. And I didn't want anyone to know that I couldn't fix the grill because I felt insecure about it. And I thought, what are they going to think about me when they know I can't fix my own stuff? I can't fix my grill. So I just thought, I'm just going to close it. Say it's busted and order a pizza and tell them the pizza's on the way. And that's the best way to go about it. As I'm calling to order the pizza, one of the people there says, yo, Pastor Harry, what, what, what are you doing? I thought we were having burgers. And I said, yeah, man, uh, the grill is just not working. He said, you know, I used to be a tech for them, right? I said, what? He said, I used to work for the company. I said, okay. So I was like, you know, this is what's going on. I said, oh, I'll have it fixed. I mean, three minutes, church. The guy had the thing up and running. Like three minutes, the smoker was back going, the grill's going, parties on, right? The whole thing's back off. And I sat there and I thought, the community is such a gift because where we don't know, someone else does. And I don't know about you, but I always need someone inside of my life that's able to help me do things that I don't know how to do. And sometimes that's just blind spots inside of my life. Sometimes that's areas that I just don't even see because there's so many times, I don't know about you, maybe it's just me but so many times I'm focused on things in my life that I'm not seeing the blind spots that I'm walking past. So there's people that are around me that remind me, Hey, just so you know, this is happening. Like this is a, this is a blind spot over here. This is something you need to turn your attention to. And it helps so much because the gift of community helps in my commitment to the body of Christ. So there's ever a note to take here. You go note takers, commitment lasts better in community. Commitment lasts better in community. You see, Inside of the passage we were just reading, why commitment would last better is because we have seen over the course of our soaping in the past year and a half is the Israelites start to take hold of the promised land, right? We see the Israelites coming in. They're taking all the fruits, right? They know there's big grapes. Now they're starting to get like systems into place, organization, all that good stuff. But we also saw the idols of the land overtake Israel time and time again, right? And I'm like a broken record with this thing. Because every time that the Lord would reference, hey, Israel, you guys are falling back into sin again, back into the way that I haven't created for you. Most times it's because you guys have not driven the people out of the land that I've made for you. And they had a hard time committing to the ways of the Lord because they were not living inside of the right community that was willing to live for God, right? So if we want our commitment to God to stay strong, we have to do it inside of community because there's people that are going to light us up and set us on fire. There are some people I'd sit down and talk to and they start sharing their story and they start, right. start sharing their testimony, what God is doing in their life. I get so fired up by the time I'm done talking to them. Here's the sad part. My heart rate goes up and I'm an adrenaline junkie. Like I've got problems. Like just so you know, one of your pastors has issues because I love roller coasters. You guys didn't have to nod your heads. Uh, I love roller coasters. Uh, I love anything that'll get me excited. Uh, When I'm sitting at a table eating breakfast or having coffee with someone, and my heart rate is rising way too high just because of what God is doing in their life, I start to think, I need meds, (laughs) y'all. That or some chamomile tea, right? But here's the thing. This is the beauty of community because it grows our commitment to God. And this is what David's trying to illustrate. Hey, priests. Hey, Levites. As you guys are fulfilling the assigned roles you have inside of the temple— Your commitment to God is just going to grow because you guys are going to be living together, serving together, loving God together. And there is this pure love that comes out as soon as we start loving Jesus as a unit. You see, and it goes on verse five, where it says 4,000 are to be gatekeepers, 4,000 to praise the Lord with musicians. I provided for that purpose. David was, and I mean, kind of neurotic meticulous, correct? Because he literally had them down to the numbers. This is how many. Sometimes when I read passages like that, I begin to think, I wonder if it's like 4001 were gatekeepers and like that one person just like snuck in with the hood up. Uh, As a youth pastor, one of the uh, common things we deal with whenever we're doing games, group activities, any of that kind of stuff is always, can I be on my friend's team, right? (laughs) And... And I always feel bad because I'm like, this is teams 10 and you guys already have 10 people. I I, like, am I supposed to do 11 v 10 or what, what kind of game is 11 v 11? Like, I don't know if I can do this. Like, this isn't like, you know, this isn't soccer. What am I supposed to do? And like, every time I start, like when I repass like this, I think of the one student that puts the hood up really quick and sneaks onto the team with their friend. So, but what I love is God is so meticulous with the people and the purpose that they will be serving. And you see, it's kind of a reminder of what it says in 1 Corinthians 14 40, where it says everything inside of the temple is to be done decently and in order, right? We want everything to be done inside of order inside of the house of God. You know, we're really big on organization, we're really big on order because we know God blesses order, right? Because when we go ahead and say, God, we want to do this the best we can for you. We want to have excellence in what we do for you, God. Everywhere from sweeping a floor, mopping a floor, vacuuming the floor. You know, just last week, uh, we had Wednesday worship and prayer. And of course, we had baptisms this Sunday prior to this. And come on, we had, uh, I can't remember, I think like 25 baptisms that Sunday, somewhere around that number. It was absolutely supernatural what God was doing. But how many of us know we have baptisms and that tank is full of water and underneath that tank is carpet. Come on, somebody. And when carpet gets wet, it gets nasty. Amen. (laughs) Amen. I know we need to clean it. So, right, we get done Wednesday worship and prayer and there are the people and someone comes up and we have a conversation. And and next thing you know, someone is saying we we have to take care of the temple of the Lord. We have to keep the heart for the house, have a heart for the house of God. Grabbed a carpet cleaner and started going in on that thing. I thought it was incredible because we want to have a house that is decently in order and have worship to God that is excellent. You see, I personally believe that David was so meticulous in writing the way, the how, and the who behind how the temple of God was supposed to go because of the sons of Aaron. If you guys remember, Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, these were the uh, Aaron being the first high priest, right? And these were his two sons. They actually devised their own form of worship inside of the Old Testament. And when they devised their own form of worship, it angered God to the point because he said, hey, I'm letting you know how I want to be loved, and I'm letting you know how to worship. You just can't make up your own worship. And here they were making up their own worship. And the Lord actually had to put a stop to that worship. And I believe this is something like the uh, inspiring or driving factor behind David. As to why he's laying out this roadmap, these blueprints for his son, Solomon, because he's saying, hey, Solomon, you're going to have amazing wisdom inside of the Lord. But at the same time, I need to help you based on the experiences that I've seen. Right. So passage goes on (laughs) verses seven through twenty three lays out the divisions of Levi. Uh, We're not going to get too much into those. But what I'd really like to get into is verses 24 to 32. So this last stretch of the chapter over here, you see, uh, it says these people, or excuse me, uh, verse 24, these were the descendants of Levi by their families, the heads of the families, as they're registered under their names and counted individually. That is the workers 20 years old or more who served in the temple of the Lord. This verse is the one I love For David had said, Since the Lord, the God of Israel, has granted rest to his people and has come to dwell in Jerusalem forever. The Levites no longer need to carry the tabernacle or any of the articles used in its service. I think that is so incredible. We read this and I don't know about you. Sometimes I just kind of like push past stuff like this, right? The Lord God has granted rest to his people. You know, it's uh, it's important to kind of like, again, track the context of the people of Israel. Up until this point, they had been nomads traveling around everywhere. And as they're traveling around everywhere, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant or the presence of God with them. And if they were to set up camp. They would set up camp around the presence of God. And when they would set up, it's really cool. They would make sure that every single tribe was equal distance from the Ark of the Covenant. So everyone had the equal access or equal distance from the presence of God. I thought that's quite powerful. But right here, uh, they no longer needed to be nomads, right? They'd find their home because the tabernacle was no longer being moved. And I thought this was something that was special because they weren't finding their home around what was convenient. They weren't finding their home around the best grapes in the bushes. Come on, somebody. They weren't finding the best home based on the cattle that was on the hill in the backyard. They were finding their best home based on where the presence of God was finding rest, right? Based on where the temple would be living and based on their proximity to that temple in the presence of God. You see, it would find its home, which Solomon would build. So it means their rest or another way of saying rest, their peace, came from the presence of the Lord having a home. I think it's incredible because what it's telling me is the presence of God wants to have a home. You know, And I believe at times that we can feel restless or lack peace inside of our lives because sometimes we nomad around the presence of God, right? Tell me I'm not alone inside of this because sometimes I'll do something that will make me feel guilty inside of my relationship with God, right? Or maybe I'll do something, uh, or excuse me, or maybe my nomadic behavior is that I get so busy and this is me. So often the to-do list just gets so very big. And we have those like, you know, four or five tasks on that list that have been sitting there for three weeks. And it's like that rising anxiety, like, Oh, I got to handle these ones. Right. The nomadic behavior around the presence of God. And we start to say, you want to know what, uh, (coughs) I'm sorry. You want to know what, uh, I love the presence of the Lord, but God, I don't have as much time to be with you as I did before. So I'm going to nomad, handle my stuff, and then nomad back to your presence. You know, this kind of reminds me of a person I had the privilege of pastoring years and years and years ago. So this individual would travel from church to church to church to church to church, to church. and the list goes on and on, right? And as you would travel all around, uh, he found himself inside of our house for the second time. And I asked him the question, I said, hey, man, I noticed you kind of like nomad around everywhere. You know, what? what's like, what, what's going on? Like, what are you doing? What do you have? And I love the transparency he had in the moment. And he said, Pastor, uh, whenever I get somewhere and I begin to put my roots in, people begin to see who I really am. And when they begin to see who I really am, I'm afraid that they're no longer going to like me based on that. So I find it easier to make my way to a new church. And by the time I get back to the old church, they don't really remember those past things. And I thought that is so heartbreaking. And we had a really healthy, robust conversation about it. You know, what does that look like to go ahead and no longer be the nomad traveling around everywhere trying to escape shame, right? And this is we're in the series, jumping the shame train, you know, The nomadic mindset, as far as with the presence of God, is usually a shame-driven mindset. It's saying, I don't want to, or I'm afraid, right? I'm afraid that my shame is going to be revealed, so I have to control what people think. I have to control the situation, control the outcome, and nomad my way around the presence of God, nomad my way around people groups, nomad my way around serving teams, because as soon as people start to see who I am. I'm afraid that they'll treat me different based off who I really am. But here, I want to give you something really freeing today because I'm not just here to reveal things. I'm always here to give solutions, right? God gives rest and peace, and there is no shame inside of the presence of the Lord. There is guilt inside of conviction, but God does not put shame inside of his people because shame is an identity issue. Shame is when we look at the inside of us and say, I can't stand who I am. I hate who I am. I don't like this person. I want to let you know, just in the same way as each one of these thousands of people was made on purpose, for purpose, to love their God, so were you. You were made to love a God inside of the context of a relationship with Jesus, and we no longer have to nomad to and from, to and from, to and from, and we no longer have to go. All the way to a temple to worship God, because what God has done inside of our covenant, the New Testament, is he has made a temple inside of our hearts, inside of our beings, and said, let my Holy Spirit come and dwell inside of you. And I think it's such an incredible promise to us, the church, because we no longer have to nomad everywhere. We can find peace and we could find rest inside of the presence of Jesus. And I just want to kind of highlight this one line because I want to make one more, share a little story about identity before we've closed. Peace is not the absence of a problem. It's the presence of a person. And I'm going to say one more time for you note takers. Peace is not the absence of a problem. It's the presence of a person. Because we will go through so many things inside of our lives and wait for conflict to end. And we'll let you know, I this is what I'm discovering. Uh, around the corner of this conflict is just the next conflict, right? We kind of just live in between conflicts. And what I'm growing to understand is that Jesus is not always the conflict resolution. What he is, is the heart resolution. And he'll give me peace in the middle of every storm because peace is not the absence of the situation. It's the presence of Jesus in my life. And I don't have to nomad from situation to situation, hoping that peace will be here one day. That rest will be here one day, right? Because the Israelites still were going to go through conflicting situations, right? There was still armies that wanted to overtake that land. Yet in spite of all of that, here it says that God has granted rest to his people so we can have peace in the middle of war, peace in the middle of storms, knowing that a presence of our God is with us. And I believe this is because we get to carry this identity statement of being a priest of God, right? <coughs> Excuse me, First Corinthians two nine says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. Another way of saying that is the apple of his eye so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, I think when we have a good understanding that we have an identity, that we are inside of the priesthood of believers, and just like they were inside of this chapter, priest to God, to minister to him, to love him, sit in relationship with him, and have his presence fill us, right? We don't have to run, his presence to fill us. When we have this identity that we are priests, peace and rest belong to us from this place, right? Right? So a story I want to share with you about identity, shame, being a priest and receiving peace. There was this man, his name was Brian Jackson, okay? He wanted nothing more than to have a prestigious identity. And evidently, Brian Jackson was not fulfilled inside of his own skin. And maybe some of us, that's us today, we just don't feel fulfilled inside of our own skin. I know some days that's me, right? And he wanted desperately to be someone else. Brian Jackson grew up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where the Steelers are everything to the people. The players are gods. The team is worshipped. Black and gold are everywhere. Kids grew up dreaming of being a Steeler. They dreamed of going where the Steelers go, meeting who the Steelers meet. And uh, Brian Jackson's childhood dream was trapped inside of his adult body. Brian Jackson still longed for the identity of being a Steeler. So, Brian became a stealer. Brian studied the players whom he sought to emulate. He knew where they were born, where they went to school, where they drove, and the names of the parents, kids, wives, and pets. He would recount with detail all the games that he played. We know, all know fans that are a bit obsessive, but Brian took his obsession to another level. He pretended to be the players. To one girl, he was Jeremy Tooman, the Steelers' tight end. He showed her the cell numbers of fellow teammates and his boys, Hins Ward, Jerome Bettis, and Ike Taylor. He sped through the town with her in his ride, running red lights. No one is going to arrest me. I'm a Steeler. To another girl, he was quarterback Ben Rothsberger. He signed jerseys for her, her neighbors. He told her about his dog, Zeus. He talked nonstop about himself as Roethlisberger, recounting details from recent trips to yet another girl. He was Brian St. Pierre. He told her inside stories about his teammates. He signed footballs for her and kids in the neighborhood. Brian Jackson was these players. Each time he drove down to the road wearing official football gloves, he became someone else. And each time he drove through the city bumping his music, he was another man. In his own mind, he became a part of the team. He convinced himself that he and his fellow teammates, Hines, were tight. He was in. The other players were his buddies. He could go where a Steeler could go. He could meet girls like a Steeler. However, Brian Jackson was discovered, busted, shown to be a fake. The girls learned of his scheme when they saw pictures of the real players in the papers or on TV. Brian faced felony charges for identity theft. He longed for the identity of the players. He wanted to be someone else, someone who mattered. Brian pursued the benefits that came with being a stealer. He wanted a greater identity than being Brian Jackson offered to him. Jackson rambled as he admitted, I just idolize these guys and what they do and the attention they get from women. And I just want that for myself. And I don't think I can do that on my own. And I just want to be them. Brian Jackson was so desperate for a greater identity that he was willing to steal it. Do you ever find yourself searching for a greater identity? Because I know I do. And when I do, it is because I've forgotten my great identity as a priest of God. We cannot steal, buy, or earn our identity as priests. God has graciously given us the exciting identity. Our identity as a priest (laughs) enables us... To go where others have longed to go and meet with others have dreamed of meeting. You see, inside of our identity and relationship as a priest, because as this whole passage outlined, right? Here's this guy, Brian, this guy, Brian, who's going through an absolute identity crisis, not knowing who he is, not knowing what why he even matters. And here's a passage like this where God outlines, this is who you are. This is why you matter, the purpose that you serve. Why? Because you're a priest to me. You are a lover of who I am. And you see, he had this desire to be prestigious, to meet with people, right? To uh, connect with people that he was never meant to connect with. But here's the thing. Inside of this Old Testament that we're reading right now, inside of this Bible, there are people that wanted to sit inside of the presence of Jesus have access to the presence of God in such a unique way. And many of them never got to see it, right? There was a high priest that would go into the temple once a year, once a year to be able to meet with God. And there was probably a jealousy that may be built in the background with that. We church get to meet with the presence of Jesus on a moment's notice. And I want to tell you, he so desperately wants to meet with you today, doesn't want you to nomad around outside of his presence, but wants you to find rest, peace, a home and have that settled feeling in your heart inside of his gracious, merciful presence. Because I read stories like that of Brian Jackson, who travel around and desire to be someone who they're not. And it breaks my heart because I read that and I see a nomad that is trying to escape the reality of who God has made him to be. And I want to let you know, there's no shame in who God has made you to be because God didn't mess up when he made you. He did it just right. And you're perfect the way that he made you. But it's important that we don't continue to run from the presence of God, but embrace the presence of Jesus right where we are. Amen. All right, come on, let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for each and every individual that's listening to this today. Lord, <clears throat> we know we're always so guilty or we're all so guilty of sometimes nomading away from your presence. So, God, I just pray, help us find a home in your presence, because we know when we find a home inside of you, peace belongs to us. Rest belongs to us. So, God, I just thank you that you are going to release peace and rest in our lives. And Lord, show us who we are as an as the identity of being a priest inside of your house. And Lord, I just pray, go with each and every individual listening to this today. Holy Spirit, grow their awareness of your presence inside of their life. And we ask this and pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Come on, everybody said, amen, amen, amen. All right, come on, everybody. God bless you. Have a great day.